You've been listening to amazing music here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Coming up next, JM Sunday with Matis Weingast here at NahumSiegel.com.
everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Matas Weingast. Glad to be here and uh, glad you could join us here on this uh, on this morning. On this cold morning in our area, 28 degrees, cloudy, 41 is the expected high with a 40% chance of rain. And the low is going to be 21 degrees and cloudy. Overnight, 63 degrees and partly cloudy in Jerusalem. 45 degrees and clear is the expected low tonight. 9th of January, 7th of Shvat, and uh, 28th Daf Chavches in Megillah. Moed Katan begins Friday, finishing up another Masechta this week on Daf Yomi. Rabbi Gawas are coming up at 7.30, and uh, about half an hour from now, not sure about the news from Israel with Hannah Julian. We'll check in with her and see what's happening with that. At about 8.15, I'll be joined by author Dr. Pamela Braun-Cohen. Uh, recently, a few months back, she uh, released her first book, Hidden Heroes, One Woman's Story of Resistance and Rescue in the Soviet Union. tells a fascinating tale of her involvement in rescuing Jews from the Soviet Union over a period of decades starting back in the 70s. It is a a veritable history book of the time, written by somebody who is actively involved in in creating that history, creating what is now history. So uh, we'll talk to her a bit and find out about her work and her involvement and how she feels today about the entire movement that freed so many uh, Russian Jews many years ago. And I guess to a certain extent still continues today. So we'll talk all about that coming up at about 8.15 now or for an hour or so. And until then, we're going to be playing uh, music, as we always do. This first half hour, we're going to start off with the Havav Yachva Boys Choir. We'll hear from Shel Shela, Shlemy Gertner, Ari Goldwag, Shlemy Daskal. Not necessarily in that order. And uh, we hope you enjoy. And uh, we're glad to be here on this uh First day of the week, right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network.
שמחכים לו. שיר. המשיח יגיע, לכולם הוא יודיע. מי זה, מי זה, מי זה, מי זה מלך המלאכים. ואז כל הצדיקים יהיו כל כך שמחים. ומי שלא ירצה להיות צדיק, לא יהיה סם ריח. יא בדידי דם 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 המשיח יגיע, לכולם הוא יודע, מי זה, מי זה, מי זה, מי זה, מלך המלכים, ואז כל הצדיקים יהיו כל כך שמחים, מי שלא ירצה להיות צדיק, לא יהיה. I'm 
Simcha Balibi, Ari Goldwag here on JM Sunday. Shlaimi Gertner, Shalshelis Jr., Shlaimi Daskal, and the Ava Achva Boys Choir preceded that selection right here as we uh, get to the bottom of the first half hour of today's show, 7.30 a.m. in the morning, Eastern Time, here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network.
It's the 9th of January, 7th of Shvat. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Coming up in a few seconds, Rabbi Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. And uh, earlier I had mentioned that I'm going to be joined at about 8.15 by Dr. Pamela Baron cohen who recently wrote a book entitled Hidden Heroes, One Woman's Story of Resistance and Rescue in the Soviet Union. So we'll uh, speak with her about her experiences firsthand during that time period. Uh, and uh, let's see what else we have going on. Uh, you know, tomorrow night, tomorrow evening, I'm going to be on a, a podcast with uh, Rabbi Eric Wasser of the Congregation Beth Israel of the Palisades. And uh, we'll be speaking about changes in media coverage of Israel and issues important issues important to Jews. So that's going to take place tomorrow. You can go to their website, Congregation Beth Israel of the Palisades, and check that out. That's going to be what time? I have to check and see what time I'm supposed to be ready. Uh, 8 o'clock. Yeah, so that should be quite interesting. At this time, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we present to you Rabbi David Goasa, Rabbi Goasa's words, Lezecha Nishmas. Harav Zev, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and Lezecha Nishmas Esther, Bas Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. After all the years of servitude, the oppression, the ten plagues, the emotional ups and downs, as Paro granted them permission to leave and then retracted it, the Jewish nation was finally standing at the edge of the Sea of Reeds, pursued by the Egyptians, even though by this time, the Mitzrim should have realized that they would surely die, as Hashem intended for the Jewish people to emerge victorious. They nevertheless continued their frenzied chase. The Menachem Tzion cites the Zohar that elaborates more on what happened. In truth, Paro didn't willingly choose to let the Jewish people leave. He was forced because of the plagues. However, when he saw that his magicians who were part of the Erev Rav, had joined the Jewish people, he felt betrayed. At that point, he regretted his concession to Moshe Rabbeinu and set out in pursuit of the Jewish nation. The Torah tells us that the entire army, the chariots, the horses, they were covered by the sea. They sank like lead in the water. When the people of the world heard about Hashem's might and glory, a great Kiddush Hashem was created and they all feared Hashem. The Shira Satora asks, Hashem had already begun to punish the Egyptians on the ground in Egypt. Why didn't he wipe out the army there? Why was it necessary to have them pursue the Jewish people into the Sea of Reeds? An interesting answer is given. Just as long as Paro still had some merits, Hashem did not try to destroy him. When Paro gave the Jewish people permission to leave, he was left with some zuchuyos, some merits that protected him. But the moment that he regretted his decision and set out to pursue the Jewish people, he lost all of his merits and all his protection. It was then that Paro and his army drowned in the waters of the Sea of Reeds. How careful we should be with our own zuchuyos to continue to amass merits in our life. If somebody like the wicked Paro could even have zechuyos, could have merits that could have saved his life, imagine you and I, our zechuyos, 
how careful we should be to constantly gain mitzvahs in Masim Tovim every day. Maybe an extra capital tilim for Klau Yisrael, a helping hand for somebody in need, a pleasant smile for someone who may be depressed, an extra quarter into the pushka, in the kupa for tztaka. Each and every day, we have countless opportunities to amass zuchuyos, merits, in our own life. May we all be blessed with brocha v'hatzlocha and arichas yomim v'shanim tovos. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Say
Cause I am lost without you I need to be with you How can I help ease your pain City of gold I am lost without you یبانه به تامیگداش، یبانه به تامیگداش، یبانه به تامیگداش، بیمرا بیامینو، یبانه به تامیگداش، یبانه به تامیگداش. Ibane betamikdash bimera beameinu Good job. 
Yeshiva Boys Choir. Thank you very much. Hey, welcome. Yeshiva Boys Choir with Romamu. Before that, Srili Williger, Shira Kadasha Boys Choir, Baruch Abu David Adashti, and Blue Fringe followed Rabbi Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. It's coming up at 8 o'clock here on JM Sunday. Mata Swine guest with you. We'll hear from Connor Julian in a moment. And uh, then at about 8.15, as I've been mentioning, I'll be joined by Pamela Braun-Cohen, 
author of Hidden Heroes, One Woman's Story of Resistance and Rescue in the Soviet Union. We'll discuss her uh, her work during that time of uh, a very difficult uh, life for Soviet Jews. So we will we'll discuss her book and uh, and talk to her at about eight fifteen. It's uh, time for our news from Israel. Hannah Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at uh, JewishPress.com joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Good morning, Hannah Julian. Good morning, Matis. Israel is facing a shortage of coronavirus tests, but Prime Minister Naftali Bennett says the government is working on it. Some 1.5 million testing kits were sent already to retirement homes, and at least three testing kits are going to be distributed free to children in preschools and elementary schools, as well as to the teachers. The Prime Minister said at today's cabinet meeting that prices for the tests in stores also should be dropping pretty soon because millions of kits are being imported as well. 5,000 doses of the new COVID-19 medication made by Merck arrived in Israel this morning. The new pills are intended to treat high-risk Israelis infected with the Omicron variant. The COVID-19 medication produced by Pfizer Pharmaceuticals already arrived in the country. Both drugs are given in pill form daily for a five-day period. Israel is now in the middle of its fifth wave of the coronavirus. The number of serious patients rose by another 37 cases to 205 over the weekend. Israel has reached an all-time record of 115,000 active cases. Yesterday, there were 17,521 new cases of COVID-19. The positivity rate in the country has reached 11%. And a new coronavirus variant has been identified in Cyprus. This one is being called Deltacron. It has a genetic background that is similar to the Delta variant, but also has some of the mutations from Omicron. So far, 25 people in Cyprus have been diagnosed with the new Deltacron variant. On the good news front, Tel Aviv University has launched a TauSat-3 satellite into space. It was launched from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida and was carried by a Falcon 9 rocket on a SpaceX mission. It was transferred to the International Space Station via the Cargo Dragon spacecraft. The Israeli satellite is about the size of a shoebox. It contains a mechanism that detects and mitigates cosmic rays that damage space systems. It is now in communication with ground stations. Let's take a look now at the skies a little bit closer to planet Earth. We have cloudy skies today with a few thunder boomers in the south and east of the country. There's also a flash flood warning out for the southern and eastern riverbeds. Temperatures right now are in the low 60s, but by tonight they'll drop into the mid-40s. Rain should be stopping overnight. On Monday, we're looking at bright sunny skies with the high in the mid-50s. Clear skies in the evening hours, low around 40 degrees. Have a great week, everyone. Everyone, Shavuotov. Stay safe and stay healthy. I'm Hannah Julian for JM Sunday. That's our news from Israel. Thanks, Hannah Julian. We'll see you next week right here on JM Sunday, exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's about uh, 5 after 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, we're going to get back to some music. Then we'll be joined by Pamela Braun Cohen, author of Hidden Heroes, about 8.15 this morning. Shem, ki delisa. 
That was music from Gershon Veroba right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Matis Weingast. We're here for about another 45 minutes. Before that, we heard the Yeshiva Boys Choir. And um, we heard uh, Ms. Moshir. Before that, the News from Israel with Hannah Julian right here on JM Sunday. As I mentioned, on the Nachum Siegel Network. My guest this morning is Dr. Pamela Cohen. She is the author of the book Hidden Heroes, One Woman's Story of Resistance and Rescue in the Soviet Union. Dr. Cohen, welcome to JM Sunday. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. You recently released this book, Hidden Heroes. Uh, It is uh, your story, but it is, of course, the story of Jews in the Soviet Union over a period of many decades uh, from the time that they really started to have the itch, if you will, to leave the Soviet Union and go to Israel and or any place else they could go out of the Soviet Union. But your story and their story is, is really tied together, and it's a fascinating story. Uh, thank you. You're welcome, and thank you for, for, <laughs> for working on it. I'm sh- we'll, we'll talk about the, the book itself. Uh, just as a little background, I uh, grew up and still live in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and uh, I remember as a youngster a particular image uh, when uh, the former chief rabbi of Russia, Rabbi Levin, uh, Levin came to uh, the United States in 1968. So I was a little kid, and I remember when he visited our school, we were singing as the as the choir, Heveni Shalom Aleichem. And from that early time on, you know, we realized that uh, that there there are people there that we're not familiar with who are living in a a, a state of absolute tyranny, and here we are living in uh, a free society. What was your first feeling and realization that that was happening to the people? That's that's the way they were living in the Soviet Union that prompted you to say, hey, I have to do something about this. Well, for for me, it was the arrest of Jews um, that I that that was broadcast um, in 1970 after a group of very desperate Jews um, tried to take a plane from Leningrad to Sweden because. He, they wanted to demonstrate to us in the West that they were basically millions of Jews who were being held captive against their will in the Soviet Union, living in a twin, under a twin policy of fo- basically forced assimilation and fierce Jew hatred. And of course, this was uh, Joseph Mendelevich and Hillel Bootman and and Mark Dimschitz and uh, Silvis Amundsen and the others who um, knew that they would be arrested on the tarmac, um, but that it was a flare that they were sending up to us, that we should know that the second largest population in the in the world, Jewish population in the world, was um, un, under threat, serious threat. I mean, at the time, uh, during those years, we... Uh, who were at this point studying um, the history of the Soviet Union and, and knowing the the um, 
the history of Stalin and what he planned to do to Jews to forcibly exile them that he had taken, uh, had learned a lot from Hitler. Um, we saw that 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 was still possibly on the on the on the uh, on the horizon, and it was our job for those of us who knew about it to create a bond of solidarity as partners with Jews who were struggling and uh, speak to the world and to the governments in one voice. Um, it, it's, it's my story. I am, fortunately, I, I, I happen to be one of the last of the people who were involved in this movement um, behind the scenes, the last of the Americans that were behind the scenes working um, as partners with what we call refuseniks, Jews who were uh, did not refuse permission to leave. Um, but it is a, a gripping story of the people inside the Soviet Union, who all ages and all walks of life, who had the the courage, the moral courage, um, to take on the Soviet to take on the Soviet government the Soviet social system, be fired from their jobs, get fired from schools. And I, I'm not to say, the book has, uh, I, I've been told that it reads a bit like a, a thriller because of the um, the unknown futures of the people whose stories I'm telling about. But on the other hand, the book is also um, an important message for I believe Americans today, especially um, the parents uh, uh, and the young of, of college students and college students um, who are being intimidated socially um, on the campuses of the United States by anti-Semitism, and many of whom are retreating into silence um, in order to get that grade from the professor or in order to be accepted by a you know, a social group. Um, these refuseniks fought this in a much more stringent way under much greater dangers, dangers that would include uh, being exiled to Siberia in labor camps um, or being separated from your families. And, and yet they stood and they stood firm. And the message that I, I have for young people today is that we we also have to stand firm. The in in the Soviet Union, the process um, the process started very similarly as it did as it is today on campuses. Many of the Soviet Jews were really Jews in name only, um, had very little identity, had planned to be part of Soviet society, Soviet man, Soviet um, homo Sovieticus. And, and conform, and yet something snapped in them. And as they realized that there was no place for them in the Soviet Union, they developed their Jewish identity. And so it was a multi-level multi process of awakening um, of as to who they are as Jews, as Jews with a homeland, um, and recognition that it was impossible to live as Jews in the Soviet Union, which led for them to apply to immigrate 
and which brought down the wrath of the Kremlin on their heads. Right. I don't think that people nowadays, uh, like you said, especially uh, people, in, you know, youngsters, uh, people who weren't around during that time at all, or maybe whose parents weren't even around during that time, have a real great understanding of what life was like uh, in uh, Stalin, Russia, and even afterwards, Stalin fortunately died in 1953, so uh, yet he was around when uh, when Israel as a nation was born and uh, the War of Independence took place. And if you read through history, I'm sure you know, but I don't know if our listeners know, that uh, Russia portrayed Israel, of course, as, as the, the losers and as the aggressors and was very negative. And yet, from the stories we all heard, the uh, Jews in Soviet Union who got to see that were realizing that there were Jews fighting for other Jews and for a homeland, like you, like you'd mentioned, and uh, you know there's so many things that gave rise to that that spark, as as uh, you had talked about before, that something that groundswell that rose up in many people, Jews in the Soviet Union, to make them think, okay, maybe there's a hope for something else that um, we don't have right here. But uh, unfortunately, again, like you said, the the uh, teachings of this and the understandings of this is not uh, that great nowadays in history. We teach about Holocaust, extremely important, obviously terrible time in our history. You talk about, we teach about Israel. The part about the Soviet Union in today's day and age and most of the curriculums is is very limited. It's like, you know, everything that happened and people came out. We have famous people like Natan Sharansky and everybody knows who he is. But I think it's so important that people read this book because you have to know what life was like. And then comparing it to what you were just talking about, anti-Semitism in the, on the college campus that uh, we face, people have to understand what they can do and what can be done uh, about that. And that's just so extremely important. And uh you know, appreciate Magic, you bringing that you up. You brought up really the, a, a very important point, and that is uh, the, um, the the effects of the um, '67 war on on Soviet Jewry, even though it was painted with a very tarnished brush on Soviet anti-Zionist TVs. Yeah. But um, the other point that that I think is really critical is that when you talk about Stalin and what happened under Stalin, what what happened in Russia, this is this was the only mass rescue in our long history since the expulsion. We have had during the centuries I can go through it. The Cossacks and the mm-hmm. and the, the 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 Mongol hordes and and uh, the Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades. I mean, I, I, there's a whole long, horrible list of tragedies. Um, Kalmanitsky, which killed mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of Jews, who killed thousands of Jews, uh, um, and yet this movement. This union of Jews in the West with Jews in the Soviet Union produced the largest mass rescue of Jews in history. Mm-hmm. Yes, and 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 I believe I didn't realize it then, but I believe at the end of the story, 
when I looked back, I could see that just as baseless hatred sent us into exile, the tremendous love, the tremendous baseless love that Jews had in America and England and France with Jews in the Soviet Union, I think created a cosmic force that broke open the gates and also broke down the, the whole Soviet structure. Right, absolutely. And like our, like in our history, if you have, uh, what's the old joke? If you have two Jews, you have three opinions. There were many different organizations at the time that uh, you were involved in here. Uh, and, and I want to talk about the organizations that you founded and you worked with. Uh, but, you know, there were other organizations also who may have had different ideas on how to help Soviet Jewry as opposed to trying to get them out and what to do. And, and, and uh, you know, if nobody is lighting a fire under them, there's the status quo. So they, all that, of course, took place like, like almost anything in our, in our history. Uh, but you worked with a particular organization or two uh, over the time. What, and if I'm correct, you were not, a particularly activist person, uh, from you know what I read in the in the book. I honestly didn't read the entire book, um, but I read you know uh, uh, enough of it, I believe. <laughs> so I look forward to reading the whole thing. And and by the way, before I forget, uh, is it available on Amazon and uh, yes, all the is. usual places? Great. So yes. ma- make sure Amazon to has go it. The hardback has been sold out in a lot of bookstores, but. Um, Amazon is carrying it. Okay, Hidden Heroes. Pamela Braun Cohen is the author, so make sure to order a copy today. So, getting back to uh, to what, what I was uh, saying, how did you get into the organizational part of really being able okay, to say I it, can do something? Okay, I, I, I would I would recategorize the um, the definition. We um, when I heard about uh, the seven. In the 1970s, and Leningrad trials and the arrests, and, and started getting information. I found like-minded people um, who felt that our loyalties um, and the information that that we were going to use to advocate on behalf of Jews had to come from those Jews themselves, and not from any organizations. We we wanted to know what actually refuseniks who were endangered um, wanted us to do for them, how they wanted to handle their cases, and we and we were able to make contact carefully with Jews in the Soviet Union through by sending shlishim, by sending messengers, and by making underground phone calls and by setting up. Um, underground channels of communication, which we were able to document their cases and and their and the stories that we were able to take to the White House and the State Department. But what we built was not an organization; it was a movement. Mm, it was point. like a strike force. Right. We we modeled Chicago Action for Soviet Jewry was a grassroots group of mostly housewives and students working out of Chicago who banded together um, with councils that were like-minded, working independently, many of them from their kitchens um, throughout the country. Eventually, there were as many as 42 individual councils ranging from you know, New York and Connecticut to Florida to California wow. you know, and all through the Midwest. 
um, and working with uh, Student Struggle for Soviet Jewry, the Union of Councils created, was the largest grassroots independent Soviet Jewry movement in the world. Um, but we were we modeled ourselves after Peter Bergson, after the Bergson Committee, after Peter Cook's um, Rabbi Cook's nephew, who really was in the states and who began to advocate for the Jews in who the victims in the Holocaust to bring mm -hmm. them to America to have Roosevelt bomb the train lines. Um, activists that were trying to get the attention of the West to fight um, in behalf of their people. Um, and he was building a strike force, and, and that's what we built. Um, in, 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 we used as our model. We were volunteers um, dedicated you know, entirely to Soviet Jewry. Um, they were our, we took our orders from them. We flamed our policies through them. Um, we were their voices in the free world. Um, and so together it forged a, a movement that that actually pervaded the Iron Curtain. It, it, it created cracks. We were able to create cracks in the Iron Curtain. Right. And those cracks suddenly brought down the system. Right. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> again, I tell you, many of our listeners probably have no idea what the term Iron Curtain is, unfortunately. Uh, because, again, you know, it was many years ago, and people aren't studying those things. And it's so important because what, what you're talking about and what you accomplished with, with many others is it shows how speaking out and getting together and bringing a topic to the forefront uh, shows what can be accomplished. Uh, you know, man, it's, it, it's, it's, I think, um, I, I, I'm not speaking with prejudice when I say this. I think schools and universities are doing our students, our American students, a very big disservice mm -hmm. by not teaching this history, the history of the Socialist Revolution from 1905 to 1917, the Soviet Union, and how it affected all of Europe. The, the communist systems are I have, have not, even since that most of them uh, broke away from the Soviet Union, you know, like 30 years ago, right. they haven't recuperated. No, the not effects at all. Of, of communism and socialism have been so pervasive on the individual. It's something that Americans really should know um, and should study carefully. Right. We we hear about things that happened in the Soviet Union. We hear about communism. We hear and we see today North Korea. You know what it's what it's like. Although I, I think most people don't even understand the severity of what goes on in in North Korea because nothing gets out. Uh, the same thing with um, with communism. Even in China, we see a lot of uh, openness, but. Again, you know, people don't understand. And during this time period, certainly at the end with with Stalin and even afterwards, any Soviet Jew, any Soviet person that you speak to who was around even part of that time, is still afraid, even if they're living in one of the quote free countries, of what went on. People's houses were. <laughs> there was a joke. <laughs> it's not a joke. The reason why. Uh, the reason why uh, a job. Uh, What's what's I can I think of it now the uh, the uh, the number of jobs um, that people have was so high uh, 
employment. Employment. Thank you. Thank you. So employment was so high. The 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 joke was that half the people were were working, and the other half of the people were spying on the people that were working. So they all That's had jobs. And, and by the way, when you talked about Rabbi Levin coming, mm-hmm. you have to also know that he was came with a he was brought with a retinue of KGB. Oh, of and course. And he could not say what he wanted to say. Uh, absolutely. And when any spokesman from the Soviet Union came to raise money for Stalin for the Second Front uh, with the United States, they they came, they spoke to to great leaders in in, in America and and they couldn't say with it what the truth was. No, of course not. A- absolutely not. I, again, I remember when when uh, <laughs> the story, and I heard about it more in later years, just as an example, when Robert Levine came, he was with his Soviet minders and his yeah. people, and uh, he was, uh, he was um, brought over by a particular organization, and uh, after he spoke at the first uh, event, they basically said, okay, we don't want you here anymore, because he wasn't touting the line, and he ended up staying under the auspices of other groups for another few weeks, and it was uh, it was a whole different type of situation. That was back in the late 60s, uh, and, and you know, just a, a touch of what was going on. It had never even happened before that a chief rabbi and a cantor, it was, the chazan was there also, came in, and some people began to see what was going on. But we can't imagine, we can't imagine living here what it was like uh, yeah. over there on a, on a basis of just spying and t- nobody wanted to say anything and and that and my my point in leading is leading up to that when you and others who worked with that at that time grabbed a hold of that little bit of what you saw the hijacking in your case which we are 15 people including Mendelovich said we're going to hijack a plane to bring to world attention what's going on there was a groundswell it took a long time Correct. But it did start, and it, it was so important. So again, I, I uh, encourage people to buy this book and read it because it is a history of what went on at that time. It is a fascinating history and and, and a great read. It's it's a um, you know you wrote it very well. It's not it's not boring at all. It's not a history. I love history, and I you know was reading through a lot of this, and I really encourage people to get this because not only Will you see the history of uh, read the history of the people we know about today, such as the Sharansky, uh, Ida Nudell, who recently passed away. I, I mentioned her because I had the honor of interviewing her a number of years ago when she came to visit uh, in Passaic. And she came to my house afterwards and I did an interview with her. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I could jump around a lot of things. She was a very unassuming person when you were just talking to her. And and same with others that I'm sure you've met so many over the over the years. That's 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 the that's one of the things I want people. That's one of the reasons I wanted people to read the book. The people in the Soviet Union were everyday people, everyday Mm -hmm. Jews. They looked just like your uncle and aunt. (laughs) When I met them the first time, I could have been sitting in my own family living room. Nobody was, I mean, they may have been doctors and lawyers and educated. They mm-hmm. were all educated. But they were plain-speaking people. And people like myself who worked for them 
were the people who were you would never have imagined in my graduating class that would have you know been they would someone would have said well she's going right. to you know do what she did and get honorary degrees and and you know be interviewed on all kinds of <laughs> or go to go to dinner at the White House right <laughs> unpredictable people who grasp. A, it's like you have a moment in your life that you have an opportunity that I believe is sent from Hashem. I believe that God has given us an opportunity, a gift, so to speak, Absolutely. to grab onto that will carry you to where you're supposed to be and have influence on other people. Uh, but that's the whole point of this book, is that everybody, just all of us on both sides, plain people, plain speaking people. I was a young mother with three children who had was very happy reading books and, and baking cookies, yeah, right. um, who, who saw that something had to be done because it was our own people. It exactly. wasn't some, you know, it wasn't, it, it, yes, there was a civil rights movement, and yes, there were, there were other movements to be fighting for, but we heard the cries of our own people, and we realized that we're such a small people, we're, we are part of each other, that we have a responsibility for each other. And then if we don't act, no one will. Right. And, and we have the ability to change history. And, and I've thought about it many, many times during the intifadas and, and during all the, all the issues that happened in Israel. And we have, we, we have to be loyal to each other and stand for each other. And I think that this movement is, is, is a successful evidence of what can happen when we do that. Right, 100%. We can't be complacent about what we hear about. If we want to do something, we should try to do something, especially in this day of uh, social media where information gets passed on in seconds around the world. When there is something to, uh, to act upon, it can be done very quickly and as opposed to back when you were working on it, you had to fight just to get someone to read something you wrote, you know, and, and get something mailed or delivered. I mean, exactly. literally, the the actual form of of doing that. Uh, the uh, you mentioned about the civil rights movement, which was occurring around that time. Do you think when when you were there that seeing the civil rights movement, what was happening here, also like you said, gave the idea of hey. Let's. We we see it works. Let's no now question. do it. Absolutely no question. No question. I, I think that the Soviet Jewry uh, movement appropriated a lot of the techniques of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Good. Absolutely. Uh, questions for you personally. How did it affect you at that time? How did it affect you in later years? How does it still affect you now? And was there a time where you were able to step back um, at any point while you were working with with all of these uh, things to say, "Oh wow, this this has worked"? You know, was it a particular refusnik that finally got out? Was it something you saw where you said, "Okay, this is this is working"? Um. I'm going to answer that like, that question first. Okay. I didn't realize we did not see it working until it worked. Okay. We could not see the end because for every release and and 
um, I spoke at the at the big rally in in Washington in 1987 mm-hmm. when Sharansky's big rally where we brought out a quarter of a million Jews right. to the White House Mall. Yep. And even then, even and and some of the the Gorbachev let out some of the big name refuseniks like. Uh, like Slaypack, some yes. of the very, very famous refuseniks who he had been cultivating, you know, as a hostage. <laughs> right. Even then, I didn't see it. I thought this was still a show. It wasn't really until the gates really, really opened, like um, closer to 96, mm-hmm. um, that I, I saw that, gee, this something happened, and this was bigger than, than, than us. Wow. Okay. Um, but during the early years, I I I could not I couldn't see any I was I was obsessed with it I the phone used to ring I had three, it was raising three children right. and the phone rang in my house literally day and night <laughs> um, when I I had an office my husband was helping raise money we couldn't really afford I didn't know how to fundraise right. but we were trying to raise money for just to pay some. You know, a small office and 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 phone calls to the Soviet Union and a letterhead. Um, but all I could hear were the the voices that were calling me from. At first, the information would come to Israel, and saying Joseph Begun was arrested, mm-hmm. or or uh, Meshkov was arrested, or uh, Jan Mesh was arrested. Uh, and 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 if you get a telephone call at two o'clock in the morning that that Zachar Sunshine was arrested, you can't stop. You right. don't just go back to bed. That right. phone right. line goes to England. Right. The lines in England and France are open, and yeah. and and it 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 drove me for many 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 years. Right. Um, they became my family. They became part of us. And as soon as they got out, we brought them to Chicago and Washington to speak at our. What we this this organization had in uh, a, a national office in um, by the mid seventies, mm-hmm. and um, by nineteen eighty six, I became national. Is that right? Eighty six, I became national president of the Union of Councils for Soviet Jews. Yes, uh-huh. um, Before then, I was the Chicago Action for Soviet Jewry right. co chairman. And we would bring them to Washington and to to you know visit the various governmental offices and have them be briefed to the State Department. Um, but how it affected me, I was brought up as a very identified but um, uh, not observant Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, very very identified. I mean, we belonged to a conservative synagogue. We had. Went to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and had Pesach. Beautiful. It's typical, mm-hmm. but we were not observant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as the years went on, and I was, you know, asked to deliver kosher mezuzahs to refuseniks, <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, and to bring them shmot and to bring them books on kashrut. I I said to my husband, if Aryeh Vavovsky an underground Hebrew teacher who was exiled to Gorky, wanted a book on Kashrut, 
it's he's going to keep kosher in, in Gorky, and I'm not going <laughs> to keep kosher in Deerfield. Right. And right. that was that took care of that. Yeah. And little by little, I was inspired. The first Friday night, I my first Friday night dinner, my first Friday night Shabbos was at their apartment when they weren't exiled on Automobilskaya in mm-hmm. Moscow. And as as um, Mila lit candles. I had an image, which I recorded in the book, I had an image of what it must look like on high to God as candles go up and start are lit from beginning in Jerusalem to Tel Aviv to Athens right. to Rome to Moscow, and that as the world, the globe turns, what it must look like on high as you light candles at the right time. And that was it for me. Right, right. That's that's amazing. And I'm sure to this day, well, obviously those are not just memories. They're part of your life right now. And of course, always, my husband and I are, you know, Shomer Mitzvahs. And because Soviet Jews couldn't live in Israel, my husband and I bought an apartment in Jerusalem <laughs> 25 years ago. Wow, wow. And we now have taken Israeli citizenship and... It has it, it it had it had a profound effect on our lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, and I'll tell you, it made me ask the question. And that is, there were so many things that happened in the book that readers will be astounded mm-hmm. at. Uh, uh, I mean, I was asked to get. I live in Chicago. I was asked in, in Moscow to get bear fat delivered. <laughs> There were so many things, and and that I could find bear fat the next day, and it just so happens that the person who had the bear fat was going to be in Moscow 24 hours later. I mean, there were so many things that just could not have happened that happened that I I I had to be aware you that this these things were just not coincidences. Right, right? Totally, and it changed our life. That's a, that's amazing, and that, and that's why I, I particularly was uh, excited um, to interview you and to discuss with you uh, what you went through, how you put this all together, and that thankful that you wrote about this because I think again, as I said before, it will give uh, people reading this the understanding of how you're not just writing this as a person who said, okay, let me write the history of uh, you know Soviet Jewry. You lived it from one side. You were affected by it. You accomplished a tremendous amount. And this book is basically being able to sit and talk to you for hours and just, you know, discussing these things and hearing about them. And I think that's why it's so important. Based on what you said before with, with schools, you should create a curriculum. <laughs> well, uh, Silva Zalman's daughter, daughter has created a curriculum. She taught it in Israel, I think, to 100 schools in the last mm. month. Okay. I I can tell you that there was a professor at Vanderbilt University who has taught a class on Soviet Jewry. The uh, Hillel director at Indiana University has 250 books, and she's teaching a two-week class on Soviet Jewry. Um, I have delivered Zooms to students supporting Israel at Minnesota University, and this is really, it's a, it's a, it's, it, it's not a textbook. I've had four grown men tell me that they cried, sobbed during mm-hmm. the book. Sure. It is, it's a, it's, 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 it's a real life um, page turner. Right, absolutely. But it, it should be a handbook. 
um, that really both people who came from Russia, who for second generation have no idea the process that brought them out. Americans, Jews have no idea how to um, fight what's happening today in, in America and what's happening in the schools. It's a really important handbook now. And I, I'm saying it not because I want people to buy my book, but I want people to read this book. Right, exactly. You want them to experience what went on so they understand what can go on, what what should be prevented from going on, and how to work towards stopping something that's going on. And how to read the warning signals. Yes, yes, absolutely. How to read the warning signals today. Mm-hmm. At what point do we, you know... Bury our heads. I mean, one of the things that I was so impressed with Jews in the Soviet Union, I call them moral, having moral courage, Mm -hmm. is that if they would have kept their heads down and assimilated, and many of them intermarried, of course, course. and they, if they just would have kept their heads down, they would have continued to do fairly well. They may not have made the highest ranks in their scientific achievements. They may not have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, reached their highest aspirations vocationally, but they would have done. They were doing pretty well. Sure, absolutely. All they had to is was be still, shy still, just mm-hmm. keep your head down as a so. Don't don't announce your Judaism. Right. Don't be Jews. Forget about Judaism. Forget about peoplehood. Don't be involved with Israel. And they didn't. Right. And that is so important for today. Also, the point you made because you know it, 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 that still goes on. We're, we're, there's segments in our society that still say, you know, let's be quiet, don't rock the boat, you know, let's let's leave it. Things will improve, and they and they don't. And you're absolutely correct with that. It's funny you mentioned about people getting to the highest echelons of their society. You have somebody like Eliyahu Ss, who was a world class scientist, you know, who who couldn't do his work. So many doctors and so many people that were there. And then you have somebody like Natan Sharansky, who was a world-class chess champion, you know, who could have been the, 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 um, the, the chess grandmaster of the world coming from Russia. Uh, and, and of course, everybody knows the famous stories of how he played chess when he was in Siberia. And, uh, I, you know, you think about that, you think, how, how do people even survive that way? But, but you're right. They could have been great, but something was triggered and the world changed for the better because of it and because of people like you who saw that and really said it's time to do something. So, you know, Matt, just one of the you. things that, um, that, that we're trying to do is that if people are in, really care about this, you know, and want to educate, um, make sure that this book gets into the hands of college students and mm-hmm. college professors. We, we're we we're looking to raise some money to see if we can get books in the hands of either the Hillel directors or groups like Me'or, mm, which is okay. out, doing outreach in, on college campuses, right. or any of the other organizations um, that, that, that can reach um, both young people, both people who are learning about Jude, Judaism, um, second generation. I mean, there's a big group of people that need to read this book. So if you have any listeners that are interested in helping with that project... Yes, how can they contact you, or where should they... Uh, they can contact uh, me directly. It's, uh, by email is 
PAMCONE1, P-A-M-C-O-H-E-N, 1, at me.com. And if you have anybody that you're talking to in the future, you know, please, you know, we've got to, we've, we really feel that we have to get this word out. The book is, I mean, I've, I've, I'll be honest with you, the book has been reviewed so incredibly well yes. in every single city in where there's a Jewish paper. Um, and it doesn't do any good unless people read the book. Right. I mean, the book is, it ha- we have to have it out of people's hands because it's, it's a handbook. It's a tool for facing future in America today. Right, exactly. Well, uh, we're, we're just about getting ready to end the show. I'm going to be playing the last song I'm going to play today. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Leaving Mother Russia by Safam. <laughs> I think it's, I I think it's it. very, very uh, appropriate to play. And again, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. And, uh, again, Monday, people can, great. Thank you thank so you. much. P- people can, can get in touch with you. Pam Cohen, one P-A-M-C-O-H-E-N, one at M-E.com. Again, Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining us this morning and for everything that you have done. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, I wish you a great rest of the year. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It is uh, a few minutes before uh, 9 o'clock. We're going to finish up, as I mentioned, with uh, Safam, with Leaving Mother Russia. I think it's appropriate for today. Uh, for After this interview, I thank Dr. Pamela Braun-Cohen for joining us. And uh, also always thanking uh, Stuart Schnee, who is a great publicist, and he uh, works uh, to get us great authors and uh, other personalities, as he did with uh, Pamela Cohen. Here is Safam for a few minutes with Leaving Mother Russia. But all my people know the charge will be a frame. See my accuser standing in the hall. He points his finger at us all. You now must pay the penalty. For the crime of daring to be free We are leaving Mother Russia We have waited far too long We are leaving Mother Russia When they come for us Centuries we've called this land our home. We love the Russian soil as much as anyone. In countless armies, our young boys have died for you. But never did you call them sons, you always called them Jew. We fell in battle for the Tsar. A hundred thousand died at Babia, and yet no monument will mark their grave. Just on our passports, the word Yevray. We are leaving 
Getting ready to end the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you again to Pamela Braun Cohen for discussing her book. Uh, for discussing her book in Heroes. And uh, I think it's appropriate to go from leaving Mother Russia right into Hot Tikva as we end the show. Thanks again, everyone. Great programming continues all day long uh, on the uh, on the network. Nachum will be back tomorrow morning. There is the live stream for Hask 35 beginning tonight at... Um, Beginning tonight at, oh, I want to say it's 7.30, I'm not, uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock tonight, Eastern Time. Uh, you can uh, go to the uh, go to the website for more information and uh, you know, join in there. It is being live streamed. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day, great week, great Shabbos. We'll see you next week right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. You've been listening to Matis Weingast and J.M. Sunday on NahumSiegel.com, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.